Hey, hey, it's us, Luna and Drea with The Collected Knowledge. Did you miss us? I know a lot of people did because we got so many messages saying, where's Luna and Drea, right? Right. (laughs) So many messages, you know, really concerned about us. Are we still doing the podcast? Yes, we are. But, you know, honestly, I'm happy with the flow that we're going, Drea. We had midwinter break. We had spring break. And then parent-teacher conferences in between that. So it's been hectic with lots of great resting time transitioning into the spring. How are you? How are you feeling? I'm doing good. I'm getting the spring break scaries. (laughs) I thought I had allergies, but the way that I like feel dramatically different (laughs) from like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday is like, Mm. no, maybe I was sick. Oh, yeah, you sound a little nasally right now. Are you getting better? Much better. Yeah, I just have like a little bit of mucus left. But yeah. I cheated and ate dairy, and I think dairy <gasps> helped me get more mucus. So I haven't had much mucus in like the last year and a half. Oh. Being dairy free last year, I didn't have much mucus because I, I, I heard that dairy helps produce mucus in your body. You're dry. Right. Uh, I know. Okay, so I also got sick. But that was Wednesday. I was bedridden Wednesday. Like, couldn't get up. I woke up at 3 in the morning and then at 8 in the morning and then again at 1 p.m. and just, like, stayed in bed. Mm. So I feel you and feeling sick this week. I don't know why. Maybe our bodies were like, oh, this is the opportunity to get (laughs) sick because we don't work. So it's like this is a time to, like, go all in immune system. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that season change is hitting this week, I guess. Yeah. Did you enjoy your break, Elise? Yeah, I did some shopping. Now I'm trying to do spring cleaning because I feel better than bedridden. And I'm back here um, in my closet and there's just like too many things. So I feel good. Today is sunny day. I want to just get rid of everything. (laughs) I'm super excited um, about today's interview. Drea, will you do us the honors of introducing our guest for today. Most definitely. So today we have Dr. Sarita Darby. She's a Detroit native educator, a mother, a doctor in educational leadership and policy from Michigan State University and 2022's Forbes 30 Under 30 for social impact for her work with her organization she co-founded, Detroit Hills Detroit. As a former high school English teacher, she's recognizing that deeply held trauma amongst her students. She and her students initiated weekly healing circles that transpired Detroit Hills Detroit, a youth-led organization transforming pain into power centered around healing engagements through publishing books um, and through these healing circle workshops. And in addition to being Detroit Heals Detroit's executive director, she's a world traveler and blogger, equipping people with the knowledge to travel wisely and encouraging people of color to engage in this therapeutic practice of moving through space freely as an act of resistance and liberation. During the pandemic, Sarita saw an opportunity for local travel and newness by creating luxury picnics and date night experiences, bringing Detroiters the Rev experience. Sarita has done it all for her love of Detroit, and we're very enthused for you to learn alongside us in this interview. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. 
So my first question for today is just, who are you? Who would you say you are? Yeah, so I am Sarita. Um, I am an educator, a mother, um, a lover of all things Detroit, activist, um, an organizer, so many things. Um, but um, most importantly, I think for this space, I'm an educator, right? Um, always will be, whether it's in the classroom or not. Um, and love, love, absolutely love educating and cultivating minds. So, um, yeah, I, I do a lot, but I... Um, I think we, we can jump into that and work questions, but in a general sense of who I am, that's who I am in a nutshell. Yeah. Um, so one of, one of um, the things you do is work with Detroit Hills Detroit and founded it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and like why it exists? Yeah, absolutely. So I wouldn't necessarily say I founded it. I would say I co-founded it or um, helped cultivate the, um, the idea of Detroit Hills Detroit and made it what it is today. Um, so it's like 2018 in the classroom. I lived in the community in which I teach in, which is, I think is very important. Um, if you really see how um, trauma kind of manifests in the classroom. I think us as teachers, we always see that, but also seeing how to manifest it in the neighborhoods as well. Um, so I went to our counselors administration and was like, we need more trauma counselors, right? We need more social workers. We need more um, ways to combat this trauma and to center healing uh, within our schools uh, and the response wasn't what I was looking for and essentially it was like you know no we don't have the resources and that wasn't good enough for me and my motto was always find a way make a way um, so I made a way to turn my classroom into a space of healing to where we did healing circles every Friday. Um, and those healing circles led to a publication known as Forbidden Tears. Um, I was able to really kind of do the writing common core standards so we were still um, you know, following the Common Core standards, even though we weren't following the curriculum because the curriculum didn't affirm their shared identities or experiences. It was not something that we should have been following in the first place, but uh, we were we were still learning, right? And we were healing in that same space. Um, and so the publication of their book came out um, where they literally did everything from the editing um, to the book cover. Um, and the word about their book got around and we got invited to a couple other Detroit schools to do it. Um, and they loved it. They came back and was like, "Miss Darby, we really want to continue doing this work. We want to create an after-school program out of it. And I was like, look, you guys have done this healing work on your own. Because when I went to these other schools, um, I literally gave them the resources to do it on their own. We've done it enough to where they could. And it was just powerful to see other youth leading other youth to healing. And I was like, you know, after-school program sounds amazing. That's dope. But why not take it a step further and create a nonprofit? Because um, I just believe that um, it's, it's spaces like, you know, our nation's public schools upholds um, systems of racial inequality and um, inequities in general, then they can't be a true source of racial healing. So these this healing has to exist outside the classroom as well. Um, and I told them if they were serious to write me a business plan, I had the business plan in my hand that same week, which is amazing when I look back on that, like, wow, y'all really manifest everything you guys put in this business plan and more. Um, so since then, we've having a manifest Detroit Hills Detroit, where our mission is to foster healing justice for the Detroit youth, and wish you're able to transform their pain into power while simultaneously um, combating systems of oppression that creates harm and trauma for youth in general. Uh, so I honestly believe you cannot combat the trauma um, inside individuals if you're not combating the systems outside that contributes to the trauma in the first place. We're really on the solving half of the issue when we do that. Um, so that's why we consider ourselves a social justice organization that does mental health work, because um, we really want to create new systems um, that centers healing. Um, and that's like what a, one of our main goals. So, Period. 
Wow. That was like, it feels like a, a flower, like blossom and open, like with this inception, like it just spreads and grows and it's beautiful to see, like, that's like the spirit of healing. It's like something that produces life. It gives life and it grows. Um, and so like, it sounds like, like being in the neighborhood, being in the schools, going after schools, going nonprofit, like you're really hinting and talking about these steps. I think you're hinting at the ecosystem of like mm-hmm. a student. But my question for you, I'm wondering about like parents and their experience with their youth in this program, mm-hmm. with like students talking about their healing at home, like, and like parents like are also like in similar conditions and like me being a teacher myself, like I see like students experience trauma and like parents are talking to me about these things. And so like, have you ever like connected with parents? Mm-hmm. Um, have they seen like a difference in their students? How has that been? Yes. So I've had um, parents, I always tell my young people, like their healing is connected to my healing. So in those circles, I'm not the only, like they're not the only person healing. I heal alongside them. And I think that's the same thing with parents. Like they're doing their healing as well alongside their, their young people. So we really want to give parents the resources too to be able to really cultivate this healing for their young people. So giving them the resources where they can go to, you know, adult-led healing circles and really heal as well. So it's not just, hey, we're doing this work, um, but we're not perpetuating at home because our parents are still healing as well. Um, so we did have parents come to us like um, students, you know, family members to get shot, never show up to school the next day. And I'm just like, when people talk to me about grit, like, I don't want to hear anything about grit. Like somebody in your family dies and you were given off a week or two to grieve. Their family member dies and they show up to school the next day. Grit, you probably don't know it. They do, right? Like that's all, that's all I want to hear about grit is my young people have it, right? They've always had it. They got it from their ancestors. Now they have it. Um, And so we really, when we think about, you know, healing is really like a community aspect of healing. And so we really want to get parents involved and make sure they're well as well to be well for their young people. Um, So giving them the resources to set them up for their own individual journeys to healing as well. I did have parents. It was crazy. I had parents that um, they would send their kids to school um, and would let them come back home. They would only come to school for my class. Like I taught high school, I only come to school for my class because they needed the healing that much. Um, and they were, you know, going through so many different things. It was just like, I just need this healing. And every other classroom was not a space of healing. It was actually, you know, doing more harm um, in other spaces in the, in the school and, and unknowingly, right? Some of us just don't know how to do this work, right? Um, and that's why we're always up for professional development, we roll out a curriculum to where uh, educators can really do this work alongside us and really center healing. Um, but if you're not, you know, if you're just healing in this one space, um, you know, one hour a day, um, it's not enough, right? So giving young people the resources and the tools to solve their own problems, but to make sure that the people around them are getting the resources they need as well. Wow, that just opens it up so much more. Thank you. I'm so curious um, to learn. So I teach first grade, so I have many first grade friends <laughs> every day. I get to hang out with them. Um, and yeah, lot, lots of what you're talking about, I would love to actualize in my own classroom in first grade. Um, how would you recommend teachers in the lower elementary space start? Yeah, so I'm still, um, we're still doing research on that of like, how does this healing look in primary grades, right? Because it does look different 
Um, it's still necessary, right? It still needs to happen. Um, but when we talk about peers and youth-led healing, how does youth in first grade actually heal um, and actually lead that healing? Um, but honestly, I don't think we give our young people, young, young people, our babies, babies, enough credit, um, especially when we're talking about issues of like racial healing, like, um, you know, racial equity doesn't wait until you're, you know, in high school or middle school to show up, right? It shows up from the moment you're born. And I feel like our young, young people as young as like three or four see that, like they see racism showing up and they can have those conversations um, if we present it to them in the right way and ask the right questions um, and center their voices, right? Even though they're young, they have so much brilliant things to say. Um, and I don't know if you guys, this makes me think of like what I called earlier, like the little kindergartners giving pep talks. I don't know if you guys saw that circling around social media, but it was so good. I was like, oh my God, this is better than any you know, speaking engagement I've been to trying to encourage me, like this was what I need. A bunch of kindergartners speaking to me about how I should be living my life in the words of encouragement, right? And these are kindergartners, like we just don't give young people enough credit. Um, and again, like, you know, these these issues, social issues don't wait until their middle school or to their fifth graders to show up. It's showing up as young as three and four and they are realizing it so they can have these conversations, um, but it just looks different. So we did a... Um, a primary school like healing event um and we use a lot of art like right it's not so much like conversation it's more of like how can we they use their expressiveness to really center their healing so art therapy is a big thing we use with um the younger babies so they're they're able to really express how they're feeling through their art right or um dance is another way they express how they're feeling um so we like incorporate like this dance, these healing for um, dance for healing and things like that. So just trying to think of really innovative ways to really reach the um, younger babies because it is more of a challenge and, and not even more of a challenge. It's more of like you really have to tap into your innovation um, and really, again, just always centering them, not believing that you're just the leader of the healing just because you're older or you're a teacher, um, but really letting them lead that healing. What do they want to talk about? What are they going through? Right. You, we know first graders and kindergartners can talk for days and they're going to know everything. So let them do that because for them, that's healing for them. Um, so really just centering their voice, whether they're in kindergarten or a 21-year-old, centering the young people's voice is so important, no matter the age. I appreciate that so much. And I do have to remind myself every second to allow them to speak and continue to speak in, in that flow. Um, because I think as a teacher, I'm like, I try to, I, I like listen to them and then I, I seek a way to like redirect them back into the lesson when they really do need that time. You know, sometimes in the moment, they really do need that time to just like, just let it out to their fullest. And so to allow more space for that, for all of my children, um, sounds wonderful. <laughs> I would love that. Um, Thank you for sharing all, all of this. And I want to actually now sort of transition us over. So part of our podcast is also drawing out the multiplicities of selves and, you know, more than it just being an educator and all that we do as educators. Um, but I know that you have your blog, The Wanderlust Revolution, and you're a big traveler. Um, and I think I read every single <laughs> place that you've traveled to, and it's so amazing to <laughs> read and it's like it's almost like i'm there with you in cuba um and you went to costa rica and all these places amazing and so i'd love to know you know how 
does seeing the world then and then coming back to Detroit expand or reimagine, help you reimagine movement in Detroit? Yes, yes. Oh my gosh, traveling is so important to me. Um, I always tell people your movement is a part of the movement, right? Um, so movement, especially when you're a person of color, like people don't want to see us moving to our own spaces um, at our own pace. Um, so movement is so important. And traveling just has taught me so much. Um, I actually am traveling on Saturday. I'm taking my son. It's spring break. I don't know if it's your guys' spring yes. break. I know. Looking forward to it. Yes. I just, listen, so necessary with your teacher because June is upon us. And I just felt like that track from like February to June was just like, I need a break. So yes, you deserve that. So my son's on spring break. So I'm taking him to um, Paris. His name is Paris. So it's like, our theme is Paris and Paris, <laughs> but we're also going to Switzerland because he loves outdoors. So we're like, want to like go on this like trip, like where we like hike the Swiss Alps because he loves the outdoors, like loves, loves outdoors. So, and then we're going to like go to Luxembourg because it's not too far. Um, so we're excited about that. He loves, loves traveling. I think um, traveling in the world, this is his playground, also his classroom. He has learned so much traveling um, equally as I have. Um, I think I just started traveling back in I think it was 2016 um, when I changed schools and my new school didn't um, cover my therapy. Um, so the insurance didn't cover my therapy. So I was like, how can I really use something else as a therapeutic measure? Um, so where it's like when so I started traveling, I seen how therapeutic it could be. And I continue to do that for their therapy purposes. Right. Um, and it was just so much healing, like just spending time with yourself. Um, really learning your streams. Um, Cause when you're traveling alone, I did a lot of solo travel. You really realize some of your streams that you didn't know before. Um, and you really don't know who you are until you spend time with yourself. And I really was doing so much in my life that I didn't get to spend time with myself. Right. Um, so traveling was such a liberatory thing. Um, and I always encourage, especially people of color to really travel as a form of resistance. Again, they don't want to see us move to our own spaces and move across the world, especially when things like colonialism and imperialism is so real. Um, I always tell people, there. I've traveled to almost 50 countries and I can honestly tell you there is not a single place in this world that white supremacy has not laid hands on. Not a single place. Like white supremacy literally has laid hands on every inch of this world, unfortunately. Um, but I always also tell people um, the worst country I've been to thus far has been the U.S. <laughs> so that's why I travel too. Um, there's no place like home. I love Detroit, right? Um, but the U.S. is very, very interesting when it comes to valuing Black women. Um, so, um, I traveled to, again, for liberatory purposes, um, for therapeutic purposes to learn, um, like you were talking about Cuba and I just, just from being there where people were just so grateful for just having each other and just having a little things, it made me realize that I have all I need, right? I don't need any more. Um, it just made me more grateful for everything that I did have, um, yeah, I just traveling just taught me so many life lessons that I normally wouldn't taught, wouldn't have learned just staying at home. So I always encourage people to travel not only for the liberatory aspect, the therapeutic aspect, but also just the educational aspect of traveling. Um, I brought so many stories back to my young people because I think I traveled. This was like my third year of teaching, I believe. And I was able to go to 16 countries. And my every time I came back, my young people were like, oh, my God, what did you do? And I will always bring them back. One of my main things is like bringing them back candy from other countries. Like they were like so excited when I came back. I'm like, oh, what candy are we about to eat today? Where, where are the snacks? <laughs> so it was like a, a way for me to bond with my students, too, because they love the stories. Um, but, yeah, traveling is amazing. And one of my goals is just to. 
um, travel with my young people, right? I have them experience that liberatory aspect and education with therapeutic aspect as well. Yeah, part of part of your blog I remember reading was that you you have these study abroad um, mm-hmm. scholarships, mm-hmm. Um, and so that was really amazing to to read because it's it's like you do these travels and you educate us through your blogs and by sharing with your young people and your your kids and through candy yes. and all your stories and the people that you know you surround yourself with, um, and also these scholarships as a way of an extension for more people to travel abroad and experience. What, what you've been able to. Um, that's really wonderful. Also, so then I know, and then it was like you traveled and then boom, pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of halt in, in like the worldwide traveling, um, mm-hmm. but you, you, um, you brought in to Detroit the Rev experience, the Wanderlust mm-hmm. Revolution experience. Um, so I'd love to hear um, sort of how that transformed movement here in Detroit in your work. Yeah, so I was like kind of just it came off of uh like lack of creativity. Like, you know, we all went online and I'm not a tech savvy person, I'm just not. And so I lost my creativity. Like I literally won awards for being like an innovative teacher. Like I'm very creative. My young people are like, just know like, oh, what activity are we doing today? Like it's always a good time. A lot of people are like, it's a lot of noise going on in there, can't be learning going on. Nope, there's learning. We're just having a good time when we do it. But I think when we went virtual, it just hoped so hard for me to tap into my creativity. Um, you know, kids weren't as responsive. Um, so I was just like, how can I, you know, tap into my creativity and, st- and still do something different, but something that um, I still love that can really bring out my creativity. And that's where that came about. So I was following, you know, this least luxury picnic business that popped up and I just love what they were doing. I was like, oh, I can do that. That sounds fun for me to really not lose a sense of my creativity and really just like um, revamp it. So it was just an extension of Wonders Revolution. Um, and it was just like the for-profit side, um, because as we know, like not traveling just kind of halted. So Wonders Revolution, um, the travel experiences were just on hold, couldn't do that. But we started the um, the local experiences um, for me to really continue that legacy of Wonders Revolution and really um, continue to tap into my creativity. So it's only supposed to be a summer thing. Like I finished my doctoral program and I was just like, I don't want to dive straight into work yet. Like I just want to have fun and do something different. Um, but lo and behold, it kind of blew up and now I'm still doing it. <laughs> it's really crazy how it's like we went viral a couple of times. Um, like on TikTok, we went like huge viral and people were like, you need to come here. You need to come here. And I was like, okay, I can do that. But we, um, do just luxury experiences. We do picnics, we do day nights, um, and bubbles. Um, I recently decorated a theater. We do like hotel room setups. Um, and it's just a fun way for me to do something different. Like I'm always the organizer, the educator. Um, but now doing this is just like something again, that wasn't supposed to be like a side hustle. It's just supposed to be something fun, like a hobby, but you know, people can't have hobbies these days. Everything has to turn into something to make money because of capitalism. (laughs) And I'm just like, no, I want to stop doing it. But I couldn't stop because there was just so much demand. And then the news stations were contacting us. Like, It was just a lot. And I was just like, okay, how can I keep this going? And I'm actually making an announcement on Thursday Mm -hmm. that we're franchising. And that was a way for us to keep it going without me like, opening multiple locations. I don't have time for that. I'm too busy. This is not even my life for real. Um, but how can I create opportunities for other people, especially other people who look like me, 
creating job opportunities, I think is so important. Um, so our first location is going to be in Atlanta and um, Cleveland, but there's so much behind the scenes stuff to franchising legally so much. And that's what I have been doing for months, like creating my FDD and so much other stuff, um, which is a lot of work. But I think once that's done, the work, like it's a lot of front loading, you know, on the front end. But once everything's done, it will just be easier to kind of just sit back and just watch, you know, a brand grow that I started in the beginning. And again, giving other people jobs and opportunities was always the goal. When I saw that once it blew up, I was like, okay, this can be something that I can, you know, give to my community and create job opportunities for people in my community. So I'm excited about that. Um, but yeah, like, I guess I'm just like a serial entrepreneur at this point, because I do so many things that are so not connected, but uh, connected in my mind, <laughs> because they're all my passions. Um, and I love everything I do. Um, so I'm just excited to continue to just do the work in all avenues. We haven't even got to your doctor yet. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and it is also interconnected. We've talked about it on the podcast before, just like building an ecosystem. And it is you everything that you do is so intentional and in community and healing and movement and in love and joy and everything. And it is an ecosystem that you've blossomed. Um, yeah. you do so. So it's really, really just inspiring to hear. Thank you. But I love to learn more about how was it pursuing your doctorate and all that all that jazz while doing balancing everything and all of your ideas yeah. um yeah it was a lot so I think I started my doctor in 2018 that's the year we started Detroit Hills Detroit um and so I had to leave to Lansing and I told my young people like just give me a year to get adjusted uh and we can just hit the ground running which is why 2018, 2019, Detroit Hills, Detroit was kind of like, you know, we were places, but we weren't. And we really didn't hit the ground running to the end of 2019, beginning of 2020, um, because it was like I was in Lansing. Um, and I really, I recently just moved back from Lansing in December, um, but I completed my program in May. Um, and it was, it was a lot. I was still teaching when I was um, doing my doctorate program. Um, it was very important to me. I always said like, I didn't want to be the TFA teacher who taught for two years and left. Like that was just not what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to teach for a substantial amount of time um, to really make sure I was a good educator. Again, whether I'm in a classroom or not, I think teaching has taught me so many things and I knew I would never have learned as much as I did if I just stayed two years and left the teaching field. So me completing my doctoral program and still teaching to get those seven or eight years that I promised myself was so important to me. Um, but it was a lot of work. I love my doctoral program. I went to Michigan State um, and my doctorate is educational leadership. Um, and it's, I don't know if I'm doing any of what, you know, my doctor was about. Uh, a lot of people who uh, do the program are like superintendents or principals, um, which I'm a nonprofit leader of a, a semi-educational, you know, nonprofit. So maybe it does connect. Um, but I did learn so much that I literally use all the time. Um, and I just love research. Um, I'm like the research data person for DHD, um, the strategic organizer, what they call it, because data is so important, right? Um, and I just learned so many ways to collect data and do data research through that program. Um, so right now, I'm, we're doing research on how SEO is done um, in 
uh, schools were mostly black and white or black students or students of color, black and brown students versus how SEO is done in uh, predominantly white institutions. I mean, seeing like the vast difference um, and how can we really use that to leverage how we do SEO in general. Um, so yeah, so doing some research on that now. And I think just again, my doctor just taught me how to do research effectively and how to do research correctly and how to do the right data. I think people always are like data driven, but some of us are driven by the wrong data. So how can we make sure we're collecting the right data? There were so many times I would be in school, um, my first two years of teaching and everything was about data, but I just didn't feel like we were collecting the right data. Like this, like I'm wasting my time <laughs> collecting this data. This tells me nothing. This isn't the most important data, um, but because everyone loves test scores and all that good stuff, that's what we were collecting and that's what it was. But but yeah, I also want to just push and encourage people to be driven by the right data because um, data is important, um, but there is some data that is not important. Um, but yeah, I love my doctorate. I'm happy to be done though. <laughs> um, my program was amazing. Um, shout out to everyone who I interacted with, the people who are on my committee, amazing individuals. Um, but yeah, I highly recommend that program. <laughs> it was amazing. What was the program name again? Education leadership. Um, educational leadership. So it's the Doctor of Educational Leadership, the Dale program at Michigan State. Um, yeah, I'm gonna ask what because at our school, our I feel like our formative data and sort of what we're evaluated on as teachers is our iReady test scores. And as yeah. teachers, you, teacher discretion, we all know that these test scores do not actually reflect the intelligence mm -hmm. and growth of our children. Yes. Um, and how wasteful of data is that in time to be like so consumed by that and be like that's our point of conversation in our parent-teacher conferences that are coming up. Yeah, those are relevant sometimes with like, hey, how's, here's how your kid did it one day. But like, you see them grow every day and they're like hitting other benchmarks that are like beside the point, like, because for us, we do like another standardized test and like that's testing them on a full year of curriculum. Um, and so like, if they're not tested on a full year, they've only been through half of the curriculum. How exactly. are they? How are they supposed to? Girl, please tell me. I don't know because it's it's so interesting. And then like there's so many tests that people take. For instance, my son's one test will say like, oh, he's average. The next test will say he's above average. The next test say, oh, he's a little bit below average. And I'm just like, what? Like what? These are eight different tests telling me eight different things. Right. And we're putting our focus on all of them. Like, it's really ridiculous. And that's why I always tell my students, you're more than your test scores. When we did, we were big on NWA. And so whether you made one point growth or 80 point growth, we were celebrating growth in general because every growth should be celebrated. I don't care how much you grew. Um, because again, you are more than your test score and we are putting so much emphasis on this and we should not. Um, so yeah, that was like my big thing, like celebrating all growth. And usually all students have grown a little bit. So everyone is celebrated. Everyone feels great about their score because everyone is celebrated equally. Um, so that was almost my thing. I hate tests. Um, I have test anxiety. So I fail all tests. If it's time, I'm failing it. Um, let's go back to this MCTE that you all took to be a teacher. I took my test eight times. I failed seven times. Okay. And now I'm a multi-award winning educator. I have a doctorate. Yeah, that test doesn't, didn't tell me anything. Like I have test anxiety. I do not do well on time tests. This test does not define me. This test doesn't tell me how good I'm going to be of an educator. Like what? This, what is this? I've had people pass it on the first try 
and only talk for a month because this, right. this you know, like this, and here I am, you know, a seven-year educator and now doing so many, you know, dope things because I didn't let a test, you know, define me. But I had to defer a year for TFA because I, I didn't pass that test. Took me seven times. I'm not good at testing the GRE. I'm surprised I made it into these programs that I made. It. I went to U of M too. It was, listen, not, these tests do not define me. I live by that. I've done dope things. My ACT, I got a 16, okay? A 16. And MSU was like, we don't want to accept you, but we're going to see. <laughs> we're going to see what you can do. And, you know, did amazing things at MSU too. So I'm really big on like, no, tests do not define you. I'm a walking example of that. I worked hard. That's why I'm in where I am, not because my test scores were high. So, yeah, I'm definitely just big on that. <laughs> just hate tests. I hate tests so much. So ridiculous. I think it's beautiful to like also ground ourselves and just going forward of like, it's like, it's not, it's not, it doesn't define. It's a part of a story, but it's not defined. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Okay. Super close. What's, what's next for Sarita right now in this moment? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. Right. I think there's so much that's next that I can't even really like put it into words. Um, I think DHD has some dope stuff on the floor. So um, that's kind of like a stay tuned thing because there's so much stuff that they are doing. <laughs> They're so, they work so hard. I'm forever floored by them. Um, and honestly, I'm just excited to continue work with young people, even though I'm not in the classroom. Um, I literally just left the classroom in October. I was teaching in Lansing. Um, and since then it has been a struggle because I literally miss the classroom. I, I miss teaching. Um, but I'm always reminded by my young people that I'm still an educator. I'm still teaching them and, and cultivating minds, even though I'm not in the classroom. So honestly, I'm just excited to continue to do that. Excited to continue to uh, work alongside young people um, and just be, um, help them be all they can be. And for me to continue to grow in my leadership as well. Thank you so much. Uh, I, just, I just love your story because it really like, highlights the multiplicity of being an educator mm-hmm. and it's, it's just a broad thing it's so awesome yes. so just thank you thank you for your wisdom and your and just your story yes thank you both for your leadership as well in detroit and just being really dope educators because i've seen both of your work so thank you all for your leadership as well and there you have it folks wow what great great words so uh, make sure you follow the collected knowledge on instagram at collected knowledge and you also can check out dr sarita darby on um, through detroit hills detroit page on facebook and instagram until next time folks peace love solidarity